Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I'm excited for today's episode. I sat down with Dr. Stephen W. Smith, who is uh, currently serving as a lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. But before he served there, he was um, a professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and that's where um, I became um, uh, where he became known to me as I was uh, doing my master's degree there and uh, came across uh, Dr. Smith and his book, which is the subject of conversation today on the show. Uh, the, the title of the book is Recapturing the Voice of God, Shaping Sermons Like Scripture. And so it's all about um, leaning into the text and letting the text decide the, the subject and the structure and the spirit of our sermons. But if you're not a preacher, don't tune out just yet because uh, the larger idea is 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 really um, understanding the text. Of course, before we preach a text, we have to be able to understand it and apply it to ourselves and, and also our audiences. So this really applies to um, all all people, all Christians. Uh, and if you want to better understand the text in its original context, but um, really understand it in light of its genres, you know, there's different genres throughout the Bible. There's uh, narratives, there's poetry. And uh, then we have the the letters of the New Testament, and so um, that was really informative for me while reading this book and talking to talking to Doctor Smith. Something that really stuck out to me was how much the genre of the text affects our understanding, and therefore should affect um, how we shape our sermons. So um, I'll leave uh, links in the description to the book as well as to Doctor Smith. So um, uh, before we get into the episode, I do want to remind you, if you want to watch Five More Minutes with Dr. Smith, the bonus segment, um, you can follow the link to our Patreon um, page, or you can fo- go to www.patreon.com forward slash believe and become a supporter of the show. We greatly appreciate uh, your support. It allows us to continue to do this, and uh, you also, like I said, get access to Five More Minutes, the bonus segment, as well as other exclusive uh, things over there at our Patreon page. So thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome to Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and uh, today I am excited to introduce um, a former professor of mine, Dr. Uh, Stephen Smith. Dr. Smith, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well, Hayden. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, sir. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, today uh, we'll be talking about uh, Dr. Smith's uh, book here I've got with me. Uh, This is called Recapturing the Voice of God, uh, and the subtitle is Shaping Sermons Like Scripture. But before we get into that, uh, Dr. Smith, if you don't mind introducing yourself to the audience, uh, tell us a a little little bit about yourself and uh, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm the senior pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I've been here for almost two years, and before that was at Southwestern Seminary for 12 years, teaching, preaching, and doing some administration. So uh, anyway, made the transition from academics to the pastor, but love being here and really grateful to be in Little Rock. Sounds great. Uh, thank you for sharing. Um, one question I have for you is, what made you uh, want to become a, a pastor or preacher, or what kind of led you in that direction? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a fourth generation pastor, so it wasn't a difficult you know transition, uh, but or difficult call rather to accept. But when I was 14, I, I just accepted the call. I felt like God um, making it clear that that's what He wanted. Didn't really act on that till I was later, and when I was a freshman in college, preached my first sermon. But my call to ministry is is 
is could not be less dramatic. I just yeah. sensed his call and accepted it. But again, unlike some of my friends who are coming from you know diverse backgrounds, it was a pretty natural thing for for me and my family. All right. Um, so, did, were you a preacher or a pastor before uh, you started teaching at Southwestern? Yes, I was. I graduated from seminary, from Southeastern Seminary, and then went two hours north to Richmond, Virginia, and pastored eight eight years there before coming to Southwestern. Okay, yeah, that was uh, something I was wondering about. And you said, yeah. you, and you said you taught at Southwestern for twelve years. Yes, sir. And then, what made you want to get back, or what led you to get back into the pastorate? Yeah, you know, it 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 wasn't uh, just just sensing that's what God you know wanted at the moment. I know it's not a very um, you know compelling or exciting answer. No, but yeah. I, I tell people, my, my granddad always told me that you know when God's moving you, you'll sense a push and a pull, mm-hmm. a push out and a pull somewhere, and but rarely do the two synchronize. And I think that's true. So we felt a a restlessness. There were some things that I felt like God wanted us to do at the seminary, and we were just really grateful to be a part of what God was doing there. And then, uh, anyway, sensing that restlessness and the opportunity to to come to Emmanuel, so we're just sensing God's leadership and and uh, very grateful. Well, very good. That's uh, good to hear. Now, I've, I've, I know you can't see me, but uh, I've got the book here, and the title is Recapturing the Voice of God, and the, the subtitle is Shaping Sermons Like Scripture. So uh, yeah. one, one obvious question is, how do we recapture, and, and what even do we mean by that when we say recapture yeah. the voice of God in preaching, or how do we shape sermons like Scripture? Yeah. Well, let me give you the short answer and then just the backstory on it. But by, but by recapturing the voice of God, what I'm specifically meaning is how— can the sermons reflect the structure of the text and the the tone of the text that's somehow influenced by the genre? So when I was, my father was my preacher and then uh, my pastor rather, and then I was influenced by so many great preachers that we were exposed to growing up and just could not be more grateful for the influences and 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 frankly really grateful to be a Southern Baptist because we had so many great you know preachers in our heritage. Um, but I often felt like that the tradition that was handed to us, which was finding a alliterated outline in a text, mm-hmm. wasn't always a faithful representation of the text. Right. So in other words, finding finding three or four points worked for a epistle because that's the way the author was building the argument, but didn't seem to work so much through for a narrative. And I, in teaching preaching, I um, first started to grapple with uh, narratives, reading Stephen Matthewson's book, The Art of uh, Preaching Old Testament Narratives, Mm -hmm. and understanding that you could actually be more faithful to the text by not having points. You still have structure, but I'm honoring the scene structure of the narrative. And so once I kind of crossed that bridge philosophically, then I thought, you know, what about all the other genres? What about poetry and prophecy? And so um, the, the the book is built on the assumption that there's there's meaning at the structural level, and it, it actually influences what the text says. And so how do you not just say what the text says, but represent it in the way the text says it? Yeah. So, and there's, there's more to that, but the, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so you, and, and it just made me think of something. Uh, again, I, I read this book back when it kind of uh, originally came out, and I read through it a couple of times. Yeah. But I, you made me remember whenever you were talking about the, the Old Testament narratives or even the New Testament narrative, that the structure yeah. is kind of, I think I remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I remember you using the illustration of like a movie. And so you've got scene here and scene here, and you can kind of, is that right? 
Is that what I'm remembering? Yeah. So if you, if you go to a you know a great movie doesn't have points, right? right? No one leaves a theater saying, "Man, those those points were amazing." It you know the structure of it is scenes, and so you have all the Old Testament narratives are scenes building to to teach us, I think, one kind of significant truth. Not there can be several layers to scripture, but it seems to be that the author is kind of pitching toward one dramatic point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you I'm thinking of the flood narrative is a good example. Uh, Genesis six through nine. First Samuel and David's fall with Bathsheba is an example. So over multiple chapters, you see this one big dominant idea. And so um, once you honor that structure of the narrative, then I feel like you, you're getting closer to what the author was trying to do mm-hmm. with the text. So um, what does it look like then whenever we, we study the narrative and we see the structure, then how does that um, influence our, our sermon outline? Uh, so so it's like, yeah. like one scene, one point, or is there multiple points within the scenes? Or Yeah, that's exact. So if, if you're taking a narrative, I would look for the scene structure. So what are the scenes? Is there's generally a setting, and in, in, similar to pair to the parables, but not identical. And then how many scenes are there? Two scenes or there five scenes? And then the difference between preaching the points of an epistle would be in a narrative, you're, you're not trying to make, I don't think, you, you don't, I don't feel compelled to make application at each point. Okay. What, I, what I, I can, what I really feel compelled to do is get to the big idea of the text Mm-hmm. So to use the illustration of David and Bathsheba, it seems to be something about the power of sin to take somebody from the very heights to the very lowest, possibly. So I want to establish that idea, and then from that, I can make several applications. But I'm not—I'm probably not in a narrative weaving applications along. Okay, I got you. The other difference is that in in the scene structure, not only is the whole sermon inductive, in other words— Inductive sermons are getting down to a point mm-hmm. as opposed to deductive that are moving from a point uh, or a main idea rather. So not only is that whole sermon inductive, but each of those scenes is inductive. Mm-hmm. So I, if I were preaching a narrative, I wouldn't say notice this or whatever. What I would just say is watch this scene and cultivate it. And then having seen it, you've seen the scene, you've painted it for them, then show them the observation that they should make from that scene that, again, is not a standalone point. That's not how narratives work. It's moving rather the story along. I get you. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so kind of switching yeah. kind of switching gears here. In, in the book, you talk about the substance, the structure, and the spirit of a text. And so that was a nice little alliteration. Um, could you define those terms and kind of what do you mean by substance, structure, and, and spirit? Yeah. Well, um, so when I teach preaching, I have them develop an exegetical outline and a homiletical outline or communication outline. That's still something I practice in my own preaching. But in, in finding that exegetical outline that answers the question, what the text means, and then the communication outline that answers the question, not only what does it mean, but how do we say it? But in that exegetical outline, I'm, I'm trying to get at the substance, which is the content, the meaning, what it says. And then also the structure, which is how it says it. How is this argument shaped? How is this narrative shaped? How is this poetry shaped? And I'm not trying to be a form fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. You can't really, in the structure of a sermon, sometimes you can, but you always can't mirror the text. But it's not true. I I like the word reanimation better. Mm -hmm. The question is not, 
how exactly is this text structured? The question is more, what about this structure influences meaning? That's really what's important. So the substance, the content, the meaning, the structure, how it's structured, and the spirit, I don't mean Holy Spirit, it's lowercase s, I mean the, the author intended emotional design. So texts are not intended just to make you think things, they're intended to make you feel things. Mm-hmm. And you know, we immediately think of the, uh, the poetry of the Psalms. I mean, they're very, very emotive. And so I think there is an absolute unequivocal precedent for a preacher not only appealing to the mind, but appealing to the emotion. We're afraid to say that today because in evangelicalism, we have a history of preachers who only preach the emotion, perhaps. And we're not critical and left brain and thinking. I get that. But I think to not appeal to the emotion is an overreaction that doesn't reflect the nature of the text or the history of preaching. Um, so the author, you know, Paul in Galatians is so angry. Um, David, Psalm 23 is so affirming. Jesus, Luke 16 is the dramatic uh, picture of what happens uh, in hell. All these have emotional design. So um, to me, that's very liberating because when I preach, I'm not trying to be a front man for my personality. Um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to represent the text. So I'm representing the substance. That's what we normally think of as expository preaching, but I want to go further. I want that sermon to represent the structure. Here's how this argument is shaped. And then also I'm going to deliver it in a way that reflects the emotional design of the text. If it's joyful, I want to be joyful. If it's scary, I want to be scary. Mm-hmm. So I'm not picking up the vibe on what we preach based upon my heritage, my tradition, what trends are following, what I want to be perceived as, or even my own personality. I've got to get over myself. That's not really the point. The point is, what is the text doing? Because there's meaning in all of that. Not just because, I'm try- again, I'm not trying to be a form fundamentalist or come up with some novel thing. There's meaning there. And, and as a someone who wants to be faithful to the text, I, I want to represent all of that. So I, I don't, I don't think that. You, I, so here would be my opinion. Some people would disagree, but to, but to take a text and say, okay, I got the meaning. Now I'm going to take it and put it in the exact same outline. I think that inadvertently represents the text as flat, monochromatic. It's not. It's super diverse. It's dynamic. It's. Um, you know, it's just layered in so many profound ways. And I, I think in a preaching, we can reflect that. Yep. And so you said you weren't trying to come up with anything novel or anything like that, but this is one of those things that I remember reading and thinking I, and I'm not saying it isn't, but I, I hadn't, I hadn't read about, um, getting the spirit of the text from the text in any other kind of hermeneutics book that I had, had been reading. And so this was kind of a novel thing for me in reading this. But one of the questions well, I, I had was, uh, go ahead, but, but the question I had was, um, how might we determine the spirit of the text? And, and it might be easier in the poetry, but maybe in something like an epistle, maybe kind of harder to determine the spirit or the tone of sure. the text. Sure, I, I don't, I don't know, and um, I, I'm sure somebody's done research on this, but I'm not sure of a definitive way to find that. Um, there's a the the structure of a text, whether it's the Hebrew poetry or you know. If, well, let me back up and say this. There are three major genres in Scripture. Everything in Scripture is either a story, a poem, or a letter. And there's a recognized body of scholarship on how you identify the structure, strophe structure of of um, poetry or the scene structure of narratives or the you know epistolatory structure, which is a semantic argument. 
Um, so the, you know, there's how you find the structure is there, how you find the content, you know, the world is not short on commentaries. You know, we have a a body of scholarship says, here's the content. So my, my own personal experience is that once you immerse yourself in the text, you begin to reflect the, um, the emotional design of the text intuitively. I don't spend time, um, saying, um, okay, now what is the emotional design? Now I have to reflect it. I just try to sp- spend time in the text and hopefully, um, th- I'm gripped by it and it, it comes out, you mm-hmm. know, when I preach. Okay. So there isn't really, um, or as, or as far as uh, you can tell, it's, it's pretty intuitive then. Yeah. I, I hate to say intuitive because that sounds like I can or, read something in the text based on my intuition, but right. I, I think it's, I think it's a byproduct of the process of immersing yourself in right. the text. Right, so just reading it over and over, it just kind of comes to you in, in that sense. Um, but yeah. if, if, if you're listening and you're a preaching student, perhaps this is something for you to dive into. I don't know. But anyway, I, I did want to ask you for a, um, a definition, uh, if you will. Um, you, you mentioned expository preaching uh, in the book as well, and then you— um, kind of, I think you can, you can correct me if you're wrong, kind of make a distinction between what we have called expository preaching in the past and, and now what yeah. is, is being called text-driven preaching, which seems to be the phrase yeah. of the day around a Southwestern. I don't know if you coined the term or, or not, but uh, yeah, anyway, if you, uh, what is text-driven preaching? Yeah, no, I first heard the term from David Allen, and then, of course, David Allen and Dr. Aiken and Ned Matthews wrote a book uh, called Text-Driven Preaching. Okay. But the the definition, I think, is, uh, you know, is, is something that, you know, we've worked out. But um, the idea behind expository preaching comes from the Latin. We're going to X out the positive truth. We're going to remove the positive truth. And so, um, you know, so that's what we're committed to, doing the expository preachers. Uh, the problem is, I guess, it's not necessarily a problem, but the reality is that truth is, be- that term has become so elastic that it became hard to define. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the preachers that I love and follow and guys that I read, they define it in all different ways, some very broadly and some very narrowly. So I, I like the, the, the concept of text-driven preaching because it's not saying, hey, remove the positive truth any way you want. Because part of that goes back to my, um, you know, time spent in communication studies, because I think the medium of communication influences the message. Um, You can't say I'm going to take a message delivered in any medium and it be the same. That actual medium influences uh, the message. And so when I preach, I want to represent the text, not just preach the text. And so David Allen says, and I like this. We're, we're not preaching sermons. We're preaching text. Mm-hmm. And so that that being tethered to the text in the way we structure the sermon and our emotional design, all that is uh, would would probably distinguish text driven preaching from what's understood as expository preaching at large. What is the uh, philosophical or theological foundation for text driven preaching? Kind of where does it uh, find its base? Yeah, that's a great question. Be- because um, um, I'm sorry, but uh, w- one thing that you mentioned in the in the te- in the book, if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was that yeah. you you said it was not. There's a command to preach the word, but there was no command to do um, text driven preaching. That this was more of a, a philosophical. Um, yeah, that's argument, right. If that's right. Sure. Well, um, 
the, the, I've got a section in there called is text driven preaching biblical. So that's the long answer. But I, I um, but the, but the short answer is I, I'm not, I'm not trying to respond to a, to a chapter and verse. In other words, um, people want you to say, especially when you press expository preaching, text driven preaching, where does scripture command that? And then oftentimes they go to second Timothy four, preach the word. Well, I, I just don't, I don't, there's no proof text that I want to force <laughs> to, yeah. to make it say something it's not. That's the whole, that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. Um, so what I, what I would say is it's not a response to a verse. It's a response to a calling. Mm-hmm. So the, the bigger question is, is it the pastor's responsibility to teach scripture? And, you know, a lot of people say no. I mean, they wouldn't say it that overtly, but, but, but preaching has a different function. It's, it's growing the church. It's helping people. It's meeting a need. It's, you know, all, all these kinds of different things that are positive. But, but if it's to teach them Scripture and all the things at the end of First Timothy and beginning of Second Timothy, protect the treasure, guard the truth, on and on, then I've got to figure out how do I want to do that. And I want to do that in a way that reflects the way that Christ communicated the Father. So Hebrews 1, he was the exact representation. Mm-hmm. So... Um, um, I would say there is a biblical reason that's because as a pastor, I have the responsibility of leading my people to know God through his word. I think that's really clear in the pastoral epistles. Um, so now how do I do that? Well, I think that's influenced theologically because God has revealed himself in Christ. Colossians 1 a he's the econ. Um, Christ has revealed himself in the word. Uh, John, you know, 14, and then the word is revealed to the people in the preaching moment. It's revealed through the preacher. So I want, I I think the preaching act borrowing from God's communication of himself should faithfully represent the word because the word exactly represents Christ and Christ exactly represents the father. So that's, that's kind of a, a biblical theological reason that I think is, is, fair and makes sense to me without having to force a text. Right. So what, what are some alternatives um, to text-driven preaching? Um, are there other um, competing uh, philosophies of preaching out there? And 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 why do you think that uh, text-driven preaching would be uh, superior to, to the others? Yeah, so that's a, yeah. Um, that's, I, I would reframe the question. Okay, yeah, because but I, I don't... Mean, yeah. I don't think it's superior. What I think is that for me, it, it is, I, I believe in a theology of preaching. Mm-hmm. So my theology of preaching is what I said, God's revealed in Christ, Christ is revealed in the word, the preacher reveals the word to the people. So I'm leading people to the word that's leading them to Christ and the Christ is leading to the father. If I misrepresent the word, I don't get them clearly to Christ. I, Christ does not get them to the father. So there's okay. so much at stake. I want to be faithful. And so I, I, for me, the text-driven preaching is a methodology that's consistent with the theology. That's, to me, that's what it is. And then, you know, of course, there are times where you do, uh, this Christmas, I'm doing a, a topical sermon on the virgin birth, really excited about it. Um, uh, it won't be text-driven. It won't be just from one text. Now, it'll be influenced from other text. But um, I've always thought that the best text-driven, the best topical preachers were text-driven preachers, because if you do text-driven preaching for 20 or 30 years, and then you get to a topic, you know what the word says, you know, on that topic, right? right? Yeah. And so you can speak to it more, um, you know, with more authority. Gotcha. 
so um, another thing that was uh, novel to me uh, anyway in the book was this idea about how the genre affects the interpretation of the text. And, yeah. uh, and uh, so just as a young seminarian, I, I just hadn't heard it, didn't know anything about that. And so it was uh, eye-opening to me, if you don't mind, how, how does the genre affect our understanding of the text? Sure. Well, the, um, there's a whole academic genre studies that you can get lost in for the rest of your life. <laughs> and people get really tripped up on that. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. When I, when I, when I use genre, um, I think to answer your question, the way an argument is structured influences its meaning. <laughs> and so it seems to be that the most powerful way to represent God's word was as God's word said it. And so my original subtitle was preaching God's word, God's way. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that's, you know, that's it. I'm just, um, it seems to me that the story of the flood narrative is more faith, is more, not more faithful, because I'm not saying preachers don't, this is not faithful, but it's more effective when you just let the scenes develop. Mm -hmm. As a, because if I, if I treat it like points, then I have to answer questions question is my quencer you know we call it the interrogative um did is it about noah's faith is it about god's judgment is it about well i, I don't want to uh i want to let the scenes develop and get to that i don't want to if if i force myself to always have an interrogative then i i think i might force myself to find something pragmatic in the text that's not there yeah. um or it would tend to at least so um so yeah so that's the way genre to me genre is is so liberating because I don't have to come up with sermon outlines. Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm just lifting what's in the text. Yeah. And yep. and the other thing too is you know I'm I'm teaching people how to read their Bibles, which is so important. Right. This was uh, something that was illuminating f um, for me. Um, mostly what you just said um, is what I got out of it because I was um, well I was reading when I'm excuse me when I was reading through the book I was uh, children's minister and so I didn't preach that much. But it just help, yeah. helped me in the way in which, uh, in my Bible, my personal Bible study as as well. And so that I did want to mention that earlier, actually, to the to the awesome. listeners that even if you're not a, a preacher, uh, you should still listen up because uh, this will help you yeah. tremendously in the in the way in which you study the Bible in your personal time. Um, but okay, so let's get into some of these uh, genres. You said there were uh, th yeah. three overarching genres throughout the scripture: story, poem, and letter. And so, as as briefly as you'd like, or as long as you'd like, uh, what's the key to interpreting uh, what you call story, the story genre? Yeah, well, the s stories have a scene structure, and so uh, knowing that, I I look for the scenes in the story. So if I'm going to preach a narrative, and um, uh, then I, I read it, read it, try to identify the scenes and build the structure off, off that. So you normally have a setting and the, and the scenes of the story. Um, if I, if I'm a, uh, if, if I'm preaching an epistle, then I don't have a scene structure. I've, I've got probably an, an argument being built up and that argument is either epistolatory. It can be hortatory, uh, you know, filled with commands. It can be procedural. So first, second Timothy and Titus, you know, if you call a pastor, these are the procedures A deacon should be credentialed this way. Church discipline is done this way, procedural. So you're identifying kind of the subgenres inside of those epistles. But the structure of epistle generally lays out the way we think a sermon does. Mm -hmm. 
Colossians 1, my favorite, is, is five reasons why, or four reasons why Christ is supreme over all things. No mystery to that, you know, it's just right, right there in the text. So you could stand up and say, here are five reasons why Christ is supreme and just, and just lay that out. Uh, one that's a little bit more difficult, at least is for me, or not, it's, it's least intuitive, is poetry, because it is, it's, it's difficult to often make the structure of the poem the structure of the sermon. So last Sunday night I preached Psalm 51. Psalm 51 has movement in it. It moves right along um, and builds. Psalm 23 has movement. Um, uh, Psalm 1 uh, does Psalm two does, but there are several Psalms that don't. They are just they're, they're poems, and a poem is beautiful not because it's doing something in a linear kind of fashion. It's beautiful because it's maybe repeating a thing or doing something over and over again. So when I recapture the voice of that, I'm not trying to exactly mimic the structure of it because that'd be very hard and difficult in poems. Um, a good example of that would be Psalm 119. Psalm 119 basically has eight themes about the Word of God that are repeated over and over and over and over and over again. So I think if I were to actually represent the meaning of Psalm 119, I would need to violate the chronology to make it clear. In other words, if I took one of those individual units, you know, it's in eight verses is the way it's divided up, then I would need to um, you know, I, I feel I could feel the freedom to really get the meaning of that, but not necessarily saying verse one, verse two, verse three, I might violate the order because it's not a linear argument like an epistle. It's not a narrative. It's a, it's a poem. It's again, it's, 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 it's meaning is not based upon the sequence of thoughts necessarily. That's not where it is. So I'm by being faithful to it. I don't have to, to, uh, you know, kind of recast that, that structure. In some Psalms, like I said, there are other ones that you do, but in those, uh, I don't feel like you would, you would have to. Proverbs are the same way. Um, you have about eight or nine major themes in, in Proverbs. And so I think if you were to preach through Proverbs, you, you could preach it verse by verse, but after chapter 10, that would get, ex or chapter eight rather, they get extremely difficult. Um, so I, I think to, to be faithful to that, you would have to, um, have violate the chronology in order to actually get the meaning of the text across. So that's why I say you're not mirroring it. You're trying to figure out what about the structure influences meaning. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, so three macro level genres, once you get those three macro levels and I'm saying this in, you know, uh, so honestly, Hayden, what I'm telling you by the way, right now would make oftentimes someone who was in rhetoric or literary theory or in Old Testament studies would make them totally wince because <laughs> there's there's reams of literature on this that are saying this in far more sophisticated way. But I'm a pastor. I, I, don't, I would right. love to go through all that. Part of me would. But, you know, life is too short and Sundays come like 20 minutes after each other. I've, I've got to figure out what this text is saying, you know, really quickly. Yeah. And so so I, what I would teach a guy who's never thought about structure, I would say, look, get, you know, the scene structure of the narratives the strophe structure of the poetry and then get the uh, the you know the argument structure of the epistles and um, and then that's that's honestly that's why I wrote that book is because I just the reality is it's very important considering genre but most guys aren't going to take the time to get into the literature so here you've got a book that's pretty short you can keep it at your elbow you're preaching parables 
you pull it off the shelf and there you got 20 pages on parables or less. And so it's hopefully an accessible way to, to be influenced by what is a massive fields of scholarship. Absolutely. And uh, he's 100% correct. Again, the, the book is Recapturing the Voice of God, Shaping Sermons Like Scripture. I've used it in the, the few times they actually give me a microphone to preach. Uh, whenever I need reminding of uh, the different genres and the way it affects our understanding of the text. So if you are preaching or whether you just want to be able to understand the text better, I highly recommend to you this book. There will be a link in the description to the book. Uh, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Uh, this was highly informative, and uh, again, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for letting me come on, Hayden. Extremely grateful. Don't go anywhere just yet. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed the episode, hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from so that you can get updates for future episodes. And if you want to watch the five more minute bonus section with Dr. Stephen Smith, click the Patreon link below or go to www.patreon.com forward slash help me believe and become a supporter of the show. Thanks for watching, guys. We appreciate your support and we'll see you next time.